In case we haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the pastor here at Grace Covenant Church. And today is a really fun Sunday because we are starting a new series today. For the next few weeks, we're starting a series that um, I honestly do believe if we allow him to, he will free us. The Lord will free us from a lot of the things that we have been thinking wrongly about. We're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 this morning. And this series for the next about three weeks we're going to be talking about. The title of the series is Like Father, Like Son. It's a series really based off of the father's heart and sonship. And when we say sonship, what we aren't talking about is boys or girls. We're talking about an inheritance that you get from your father. We're really talking about who God is to us and who we are to him. Specifically, if you are in Christ Jesus, the scriptures teach that God is your father. And if you're in Christ Jesus, the scriptures teach that you are his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his beloved. And if that truly means that's true, then what does that mean for our daily lives? I think the second most important question you will ever answer is what do you think about God? You probably noticed I said the second most important question you'll ever answer. You might be asking yourself, well, what's the first most important question you'll ever answer? Well, the first most important question you'll ever answer is what does God think about you? Because you could think whatever you want to think about God. I want to be close to you. I want to be near you. I want to be a friend to you. But if God doesn't want to be close to you, near to you, or a friend with you, then it doesn't matter. And so we're going to focus on that first question today. The first most important question. What does God think about you? What is the Father's heart towards you? And in that, I believe that if we see it rightly, we will be set free from a whole lot of things that we have been thinking about. If you came to this service thinking about, I want a message on the three best habits on how to be blessed by God, this isn't the message for you. Because this message today, we are going to emphasize and focus not on us, but all on him. And we oftentimes, I think, even in Christianity, can come into church and make it more about me than I do about God. And in today's day and age, we do not need more of you. We need more of God. And so what we're going to focus on today is we're going to focus on who God is to us, that first question. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that if we focus on him, take our eyes off of us, we're going to be more blessed than if we came in with our eyes on us. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter three, verse 16. So would you stand with me in the reading of the word? John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want to speak about three things with us this morning. One, a holy love. Two, a holy pursuit. And three, a holy salvation. Would you pray with me for a minute? 
Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this place, Spirit of God. Saying, do what you would do among us. Help us, Lord, because if you aren't here, then at the very best, this can be encouraging. But Lord, if you're here, then everything can change. Lord, if you're not glorified in any other place, would you be glorified in this place? And Lord, if you're not glorified in any other heart, would you be glorified in this heart? Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thank you for your faith. The Father Heart of God. The title of this message, The Father Heart of God. A holy love, a holy pursuit, and a holy salvation. And the reason why I placed the word holy in front of all of these things is because we constantly need to remind ourselves that any part of God's character is holy, which simply means that it is perfect other than, completely separate than us, unblemished. It can't be spoiled. It's not wrong. It's totally higher than. It's different. It's on a different plane than you and I. And if I had just named these points, a love, a pursuit, and a salvation, we wouldn't see them rightly because these things that we're going to be talking about this morning are not just any love, not just any pursuit, and not just any salvation. They are God's love, God's pursuit, and God's salvation, which means they are a holy love, a holy pursuit, and a holy salvation. They're completely different than ours. A holy love, what does that mean? What is the father heart of God towards you today is that he's not apathetic towards you. He loves you. The father heart of God is not apathetic towards you. He is in love with you. If we want a healthy relationship with God, we need to have a right view of God. What I didn't say is if you want a healthy relationship with God, you need a healthy view of God. No, if you want a healthy relationship with God, you need a right view of God. Not just one that you have thought of, not just one that makes you feel good, not just one that you have been taught, but you and I need to see God rightly if we want a healthy relationship with God. Why? Because how you perceive God will determine how you receive from God. And if you perceive God wrongly, you will receive from him wrongly. A.W. Tozer says it like this, an amazing theologian. We all tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Whether we know it or not, we all have a mental image of God that we naturally just lean towards. That means that if I believe that God is far, then I won't approach him. 
If I believe that God is unloving or uninvolved, then I'll just think that he doesn't care about what I do or how I do it. If I believe that God is angry, then I'll be scared of what he might do to me. We all tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. And I just wonder if maybe we focus on our love too much and God's love too little. See, our relationship with God does not begin because we love him. Our relationship with God begins because he loves us. I wonder if John, the writer of the gospel of John, knew something when he described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if Mary and Martha knew something when they described Lazarus as the man whom you love. I wonder if we focus on our love too much and God's love too little. And maybe we ought to start focusing and coming into church, living our Christian life, more focused on God's love towards me rather than just my love towards God. I think it might be a healthy practice for us to model what the gospel writer John says and what Mary and Martha say about Jesus and say, he is the one whom you love. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And instead of describing my Christianity as I'm somebody who loves Jesus, maybe we could start using language of I'm just someone Jesus loves. Who are you? Well, I'm just someone he loves. Who are you? Oh, I'm someone that loves God. I love God with everything that I have, and that's great. But John, Martha, and Mary knew something special about Jesus, and they responded with, I'm just somebody that he loves. You see, I think that this is the reason why some of us can't rest, because we are always unsure about how God feels about me. We're not sure of the first most important question. What does God truly think about me? And some of us have a relationship with God we're saved. We believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and, and all of that is good and it's in order, but we still don't see him rightly. And because we don't see him rightly, we are never at rest because the way that you view God will inevitably inform the way you receive from God. And if you always believe that my relationship towards God is all about my love towards him and not his love towards me, you will never be at rest because you will spend your Christian life doing for God instead of being with God. And maybe some of us are Christians and not at rest in this room watching online because we aren't so sure about how God feels about me. The first most important question. I was um, going on a trip recently out of the country and I had everything packed and uh, everything planned. And as, uh, the hotel was booked and the, the, the flight was ready and, and the trip was ready to go, I'm finishing packing all of my things. And I just grabbed my passport, grabbed my wallet, grabbed my keys and my phone and all that. And I opened my passport and my trips in like three days. And I realized as I look at my passport, my passport expired like a month ago. 
So <laughs> I'm looking at myself and I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. I end up calling Passport Agency and trying to call like, hey, is there anything that we can do? Like, is there anything that I can go? Can I pay extra? Can I like talk to somebody? Can you just like slide under the table? I'm like, can we do anything to like get me on this trip? And I remember they're like, oh, we'll try this, try that. So I hang up and I spend, how many of you know, the next hours and days not at rest because every time I get a call, I'm like, this is the passport agency. Every time I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go on the trip. Did I just waste all this money? Did I just do all this stuff? And I realized ultimately what it was is I wasn't at rest because I didn't know my status. I didn't know where I was at. And I think some of us live with God like I lived with my passport those few days. Is that we're walking around saying, I don't know how God feels. I don't know what he's going to do. I know he said this, but I don't really know if it's going to happen. And we can't be at rest because we don't know our status with God. It's the first question. How does God feel about me? And some of us are walking around anxious, waiting for God to explode, waiting for God to attack, waiting for God to shake his wrathful hand at us because he's angry towards us. When in all reality, I want you to hear this, that God has a holy love towards you. What's the father heart of God? It's a loving one. And I believe that through this series, that as you see God rightly, as the father who he is, and as you the child whom he loves, your soul will finally be able to be at rest. You will finally be able to say, <sighs> with God. And the reason that I believe that some of us see him wrongly, even though we're saved, even though we have a relationship with Jesus, even though we're following him, the reason why I believe that some of us still see him wrongly is because he identifies himself as a father. And because he identifies himself as a father, now we naturally infuse our own father natural relationships on top of that, superimpose it on God, and now our spiritual idea of a father has been overtaken by our natural idea of a father, and now we don't see him for who he truly is. We see him for how he's been modeled to us. And now I don't see God the Father rightly. And maybe, maybe, maybe some of us are even in this room saying, yeah, I don't really want to talk about God the Father. Like that, that, I don't, can we talk about Jesus? I love Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus, but like, I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. Maybe because you didn't have the best father. And listen, I want you to feel at ease because this is not a message coming at you. You're about to hear some really good news that you have a holy father who wholly loves you, holy. The first question is, what does God think about me? And listen, not to insult your father, not to dishonor your father, but God is a far better dad than your dad is. And that's not insulting to him. That's not dishonoring to him. If you had a God, if you had a dad who provided for you, 
God provides more. If you had a dad who was seemed far away, just know that God is really, really close. If you had a dad who wasn't present in your life, know that God is absolutely present in your life. If you had a dad who wasn't seemingly supportive of you, just know that your heavenly father is so supportive of you. God is better than your dad. And it's not just because I said so. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he says, If you then who are evil, talking about fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask how much more so will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, it's about how we see God. And for some of us in this room, it, Tom, to be honest, our issue with God is not a dedication issue. It is a revelation issue that we do for God. We'll go for God. We're committed to God. We'll go wherever God tells us to go. Dedication towards God is not our issue. It is a revelation of God that is some of our issues. And if we don't have a revelation of the Father rightly as he is, then all of us will start to superimpose things upon him that are not true. We need a revelation of the Father and what the Father thinks about us. And what that revelation will do is that it will take you from a place of dedication to revelation that says, I am not just what I do for God, but no matter what I do for God, God still loves me anyway. Because you are so dedicated to him, you could mask your relationship with him as being just what I can do for him. And the Lord is saying, that's not what I'm requiring of you. I want a relationship with you. I have a holy love towards you. You can perform for everybody else. You'll get applause from everybody else. You'll get two thumbs up from everybody else for what you can do for them. But child, son, daughter, that's not how I please you. That's not how I see you. I see you as someone to love, not just someone to praise for what they've done. And if you would see a revelation of God as someone who doesn't just want what, he, what you can do for him, but wants actually a relationship with you, you would be able to say, and your soul would be at rest with God. The first most important question. And you might be saying then, okay, well, how do I get a revelation of the father? I would say, get a glimpse of the son. How do you get a revelation of God? The father, you just need a glimpse of the son. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three simply says this long ago at many times. And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, which is today, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. He is the exact imprint of the father. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying, if you want to see the father, look to Jesus. 
And if you see Jesus, then you've seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. He says, you guys keep asking me, show us the Father, show us the Father, show us the Father. And Jesus has said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Which means Jesus is saying, you remember when you saw me touch that leper who was unclean and I made him clean? You saw the Father. You remember when you saw me stop that funeral procession for that woman and that widow that I did not know just so that I could raise her son from the dead and give him back to her? When you saw me do that, you saw the Father. He's saying, you remember when you saw that the woman was caught in adultery and all of these accusers were ready to stone her for what she had done. And then I said, where are your accusers after I dispersed them and I did not cast a stone and yet gave you mercy. When you saw that, you saw the father. See, what this teaches me is that Jesus is saying, I'm committed, I'm compassionate, I'm merciful, I'm close. Which means that the Father is committed, he's compassionate, he's close, and he's merciful. If you want a revelation of the Father, Jesus is saying, just look to me. You know how Jesus relates to God is he relates to him as a son and relates to God as his father. And then the disciples were so enthralled by his relationship with God that he says, man, would you teach us, like, teach us how to be like you. Teach us how to pray. Teach us what to do. And Jesus then teaches us how to relate to God. And he says, relate to him like a father. Actually, Jesus doesn't say, he says, relate to him as the father. Because Jesus does not teach God to be like a father. He teaches that God is the father. And so when we picture, we can't picture God like my dad because God is the father. We're made in his image. So we are but a shadow of what he truly is. So the more appropriate way to say is God is the father. My dad is like a father because he is just an image of who he is. And so when I see him rightly, I say, oh, he is the father. My dad is but an image of him. And so my dad at the very best is like him, like a father. But ultimately and surely Jesus teaches that God is the father. He says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And it breaks my heart because some of us will hear that message that Jesus speaks. And some of us believe that verse generally, but not specifically. Yeah, no, God loves the world. Sure. No, (laughs) let's talk about the world. God is big enough to love the world and he is intimate enough to love you. But some of us don't get there. We stop at the world and we say, yeah, great. Yeah, he, he takes care of the world. He loves the world. He loves all of these people out there. But I'm not really entirely sure if that holy love extends to me. No, 
My friends, Jesus Christ, when he looks at the world, he does not see a group of humanity. He sees individual image bearers that he has named and known that he formed in his mother's and and her mother's womb. Every hair on your head, he named. He knows the beginning from the end of your life. He knows all of your talents and all of your flaws. And he looks at you and he doesn't say, I love the world. He says, I love you. It's a holy love. It's totally different than our love. And there are, there, there's this type of love that we have that loves things because they're lovely. And it's not bad. It's just the natural way that we do. We love lovely things. We love beautiful things. We love valuable things. You love a sunset because it's lovely. You, you love your spouse because they're lovely. You love a good dinner with friends and a great time because it's lovely. For me, when I picture something I love, I'm just like, I love when I got to go through Yellowstone National Park and I would see a mountain jutting up from the earth and I would see elk in the valley right below it. And when I would look across to my left, I would see another valley with a river running through it. And I would see the sun setting right over it. And I looked up and I saw eagles above me. And when I look at that, I say, yeah, I love that because it's lovely. We love things because they're lovely. But God has a different kind of love. And that God does not simply love things because they are lovely. But when God loves things, he makes them lovely. God's love makes you something that you were not before. And some of us are hearing that and we're saying one of two things. One, I don't know about that. And two, are you calling me unlovely? (laughs) Yes and yes. (laughs) We're not that lovely. Now, we can do lovely things, sure. But at the end of the day, my heart does not trend towards God. It trends away from him. That if I'm left to myself, I am not pursuing God. I'm pursuing myself. That if you leave me to myself and you hang out with me long enough, you will see very unlovely parts of me. And there is no part of me that is deserving to be loved by a perfect, holy love from a perfect, holy God. And you might be on the other side saying, well, I don't really know. Can his love really do that? Well, I know that his love brings beauty from ashes. I know that his love actually casts out all fear because it's that perfect. I know that his love actually knows no end and it never fails. So when you ask me, is God's love that beautiful? I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes. His love inherent in it has redemption. His love towards you is like a love that goes towards a flower in drought. It's not just the thing that you want. It's the very thing that you need. And his holy love towards you is not a love that is dependent on your loveliness. It's not actually because of you. It's actually given in spite of you. And the heart of a father that's extended to you is saying, I love you not because you're lovely, but my love surely makes you lovely. It's a holy love from a holy God. 
God so loved the world. And this was the deep love that spurred him on towards action. It's a holy love. And it's a holy pursuit. A holy love and a holy pursuit. What does the Father's heart mean when it's pursuing you? It means that God is not far from you or mad at you. He is pursuing you. God is not mad at you. He's pursuing you. And God is not far from you. He's pursuing you. See, God so loved the world that he gave his son. He sent his son on a mission of pursuit. John 3.16 teaches that God is a God of pursuit. But it does not just start in John 3.16 that God becomes a God of pursuit. He has been a God of pursuit since the beginning. You look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it simply says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking, Adam and Eve, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? See, at this point in the story, Adam and Eve were created in paradise. Everything was perfect. They had an amazing relationship with God, and he gave them one rule. He said, don't eat from one tree. Every other tree you can eat from, but don't eat from this one tree. What happens is that they become deceived and tempted by the serpent, by the enemy. They end up eating from the fruit, and they end up realizing that they're naked, and they start to feel ashamed. What that shame does is that shame pushes them to run away and to hide from God. And then we find them in this place, hiding away from God. And God, where do we find him? Pursuing them. They hid because of what they have done. They were enticed by sin. They fell into sin. They were left naked by sin. They felt the shame of sin. And then they hid because of sin. And if you think about it, this is the same cycle of sin in your life. That I'm enticed by sin, and then I fall into sin, and then I'm left naked by sin, and then I feel the shame of sin, and then I hide because of my sin. You ever hid from God? You had a bad week, and then all of a sudden you felt like you couldn't come to church? You had a bad night and you thought that you couldn't pray to God. You had a bad season and you thought that, who am I to tell somebody else about Jesus? You ever hid from God before? Because before you know it, we start hiding from God because of what we did or did not do to God. But the issue with that mentality is huge because if I then start hiding from God because of what I did or what I didn't do, now my relationship with God is all structured on me. It depends on me. It's all about me. 
And now depending on what I do or what I didn't do depends on how I now relate with God. And I am only as good with God now as I have been to God. And my relationship with the Father now is actually all upon me. But the revelation that I want you to get is that if you would have a revelation of what the Father thinks about you, you would realize that no matter what you've done, your relationship with God does not begin and end with you. It begins with him, it is sustained by him, and it ends with him. And when you start to take on the role of of Savior of your own soul, You will never be at rest with God because you will always be trying to earn for him. You will always be striving with him and you will never be walking with him. Ever since the beginning, man has been hiding from God. And ever since the beginning, God has been pursuing man. Where are you? He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And he's asking them and he's asking you the same question today. Where are you? And he's not asking them and he's not asking you because he doesn't know. He's asking you because often you don't know. You have spent your life doing so much and it's gotten you and ended up within a place where you are lost. Or you're hiding and you think that it's self-preservation when it's actually self-destruction. And you think that you're doing the right thing when you're actually doing the hurtful thing. What if I told you that God is not pursuing you to punish you? What if I told you that God is pursuing you to show you mercy? Because do you know where this story goes? God is not chasing Adam and Eve so that he can punish them. God is chasing them to show them mercy. He says, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Now, there was a consequence Adam and Eve had for their sin. And what happened is that they were banished from God's, uh, uh, the, the Garden of Eden, because what relationship can light have with darkness? And he says, you will have a spiritual death. And from this moment throughout history, God has now been placing everything in order that we might be reconciled back to God, which means that mercy has now been given a name, and his name is Jesus. And we now have the opportunity to be reconciled to God. And now his pursuit of you is not to punish you. It's Jesus's pursuit of you to show you mercy. He's trying to catch you so that he can show you mercy. See, Adam and Eve, they were hiding from God and God was pursuing Adam and Eve. Jacob, Jacob was hiding from God and God was pursuing Jacob. Peter, Peter was hiding from God and God was pursuing Peter. You today might be hiding from God, but God is pursuing you actively today, presently. No, not in the past, not when you get better, right here, right now. God has a holy pursuit of you and he's not pursuing you to punish you the father heart of God is pursuing you what if you believed that he was pursuing you to show you mercy that he wants to care for you 
Because religion will say this, you do everything you can to pursue God. And some of us today are in that place where my entire Christian life has been me pursuing God. I grew up in church. I've been pursuing God. I've actually uh, been in this church for five years. I've been pursuing God. My parents were in the ministry. I've been pursuing God. Ever since I met Jesus, I've been pursuing God. And our Christian life personally has been marked by me pursuing God. But let me tell you something. If you pursue God and then you catch God, that's not good news. That's good effort. It's not good news if you can pursue God and catch him, touch him, be with him. I'm not preaching good effort today. I'm preaching good news that this is not about me pursuing God. Religion will say, you do everything you can to pursue God. But the father heart of God says, I will do everything I can to pursue you. We're not here. I hope you understand. We're not in this building because we're pursuing God. That's not why we're here. We're here because God's pursuing us. That's why we're in this room. Not because you have done so much and you are so moral and you have such a great spiritual life and you have got such a long version Bible streak that you can pursue God. That's not why we are here. Keep reading the Bible. Go ahead. That's fine. It's good. And I don't mean to knock your relationship with God. Please pursue him. Love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And know, please know that it is not about how hard you pursue him. It's about how he has been pursuing you. This is a holy pursuit. And evidenced by Jesus telling a story about it. He says in Matthew chapter 18, as I close... This story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he looks at his sheep and all of the sudden by one way or another, one of his sheep end up running away and getting lost. And as this sheep runs away and as this sheep gets lost, he's talking to his buddies and I can only imagine as they're hearing this story, they're like, man, well, there goes the sheep. I guess that's it. Like the sheep's gone. All right, Jesus. All right, shepherd, you you care for the 99 that you got left. You do what you can with what you got. And Jesus tells the story and keeps on going. And he says, and the good shepherd, what he does is he leaves the 99 sheep who are home in pursuit of the one who's gone missing. And this parable that Jesus tells, I believe, yes, is absolutely a parable of how valuable that you are to God. Yes, that I believe without a shadow of a doubt, if you were the only person on earth that would receive Jesus, that he still would have went to the cross just for you. I believe that he would leave the 99 again in pursuit of the one. And he says, when you bring it back, we are all going to rejoice. I believe that he finds you that valuable. And I believe that there's another point to the story, which is that as you listen to the story, you realize whose job is it once a sheep goes missing to get the sheep back to the fold? Not the sheep's. 
It's not the the sheep goes missing and all of a sudden the shepherd says, yeah, you better find your way back. How dare you? I left, I was right here. Everything was perfect here. And now you realize it's bad where you're at. Okay, your fault. You know where I'll be when you're ready. But some of us think that way about God. All right, you're gone. That's your fault. You know I'm good. I guess you'll come back when you're ready. I guess once you learn your lesson, then you'll come back here. Maybe you'll come back to church one day. Maybe you'll get better one. You'll realize the grass isn't greener. No. It's never the sheep's job to come back. It's not the sheep's job who goes and finds the shepherd. It's the shepherd's job to go and find the sheep. And if you're sitting in this room and you're saying, man, I feel like that sheep was gone. I did run away. I did leave the good sheepfold. I did leave the good shepherd. And now I'm on my own. And I did realize the grass isn't always greener. And I don't know what to do. Let me tell you that the heart of the father is one of deep pursuit. And it is not the job of the sheep to go back to the shepherd. It is the job of the shepherd to go and find the sheep. Do you feel like a lost sheep today? God is in deep pursuit of you. He's pursuing you now, actively, present tense, today, right now. I get a sense, some of you, you don't need to wait till the end of the message to give your life to Jesus. You need to do it right now in your heart. God's plugging on your heart and you're saying, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You give your heart to him. That's what you do. You say, I'm here. Find me. That's what you do. You say, you found me. I know you've been pursuing me. I haven't been pursuing you, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. That's what you do. Because he is a God of a holy pursuit. And he's not pursuing you to punish you. He's pursuing you to save you. It's a holy love. It's a holy pursuit. And it's a holy salvation. See, this salvation, what it is, is that he has not come to punish you. He's come to save you because you need to be saved. He's here to rescue you. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. You see, in case you haven't realized, God is always the initiator of your relationship with him. It's always him. It will always be him. And it has always been him. You don't have a relationship with God unless God wants a relationship with you. You're not loved by God unless God wants to love you, and he does. You're not pursued by God unless God wants to pursue you, and he is. You're not saved by God unless God wants to save you, and he did. He's the starter. He's the initiator. But listen to me, just because God has a holy love for you, and just because God is a holy pursuit of you, does not mean that you're saved. A gift is only as good as it is opened. And he is extending a gift of salvation. And she said, man, he loves me. He pursues me. He wants me. 
And listen to me, he's here to save you. And it said that he shows his love for you in this way, Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That you didn't get yourself cleaned up. You didn't get a bit better. You didn't make it worth his while. You weren't a good investment. You didn't start doing a bit better. You didn't start becoming a bit more. You didn't learn enough from your mistakes. No, while you were still a sinner, God showed his love for you then. He says, here, take this, take my son. What? For a sinner? Yeah, for that one. Here, take my son. For me? Oh, God. I don't deserve it. That's not, that's too good for me. Yeah, it's too good for you. Yeah, you don't deserve it. Yeah, he's that good. Yeah, it's by grace. Yeah, it's through faith. And yeah, all it takes is a yes. Yeah, you don't have to be cleaned up. You don't got to be perfect. You don't got to get right. That's his job, your job in this moment right now today for you is to say, yeah, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it, but I realized that you sent your son for me anyway. And so I'm going to say yes, because John 3, 17 says that God, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it. That's not the reason Jesus came. But he came and he sent his son to save it. And if you're sitting in this room, you're saying, I need to be saved. That today is your day to receive the father heart of God, to receive a holy love, to receive a holy pursuit, to receive a holy salvation. That now, finally today, your soul can finally say, I'm at rest because you love me with a holy love. You pursued me with a holy pursuit and you saved me with a holy salvation. That's the father heart of God. And now you could say, I'm just somebody that he loves. (laughs) I'm just somebody that he loves. I'm just somebody that he pursued. I'm just somebody that he saved. And thanks be to God that he did. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh, but Lord Jesus, we are so much more thankful that you love us. If there's somebody in this room who had that tug on their heart and they, they didn't know what it was, they don't know what to do. They're just, they're just feeling this feeling. Let me tell you, it's the spirit of God. That faith is growing in your heart by the hearing of the word, the good news of Jesus, that he loves you with a holy love, that there's a father heart towards you, that he's not mad at you, but he loves you. He's not far from you, but he's pursuing you. He's not here to punish you, but he's here to save you. And that has now given your heart permission to hope in Jesus. And let me tell you, when you hope in Jesus, that hope will not be put to shame. You now will be invited into sonship, into daughtership with the God. 
God of heaven and earth. And if you're in this room and you're saying, man, that's me, that's me, that's me. I don't know what it means from here on out, but all I know is that's me, that's me, that's me. I need to be somebody whom he loves. I need to be somebody whom he pursues. And I want to give my life to Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus all over the room. That's you. I don't know who you are, but you do. I want you to raise your hand on three. One, Jesus loves you so much with a holy love. Two, he loves you and he has pursued you with a holy pursuit. Three, he has saved you with the holy salvation. Raise your hand if that's you. I see 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 you. That's a holy love you're receiving. It's a holy pursuit you're submitting to. And it's a holy salvation you're about to enter into. And this, I want you to pray in your heart right now. Just let your heart pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. But more importantly, you love me. And I am sorry for sinning against you. And I choose, Lord, from whatever I know about sin, I choose to turn away from it. And I choose to follow you, Jesus. I believe that you died for me. I believe that if I believe in you, God, I'll not perish, but I'll have everlasting life. I believe that you rose again on the third day. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my heart. Make me new and make me like you. In Jesus' name. And I just want to pray. We don't have time for everybody to raise their hands, but there's just people in this room who want a right revelation of God the Father, and I want to pray for you. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't got to look. You got to stand. You don't have to come to the altar because the Holy Spirit knows you who you are. I don't need to know who you are, but I'm going to pray for you that you would have a revelation of God the Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you reveal the Father to us? Would you reveal the glory of the Father to us in this room? God, that he is exactly who he said that he is and not who he has been taught us to be. He's not who my dad was. He's not who I've thought that he was. He's better. He's better. He's better. And I believe in Matthew 7, 11, that God, you'll give good gifts to those who ask. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now for a right revelation of God the Father, not one that I have decided in my own mind, not one that I have been taught, but one Lord, that I need you to teach me. I say right now of you, oh God, that I see, want to see you rightly. I want to know you rightly. And God, by your spirit, would you reveal yourself right now? Would you reveal yourself? God, if it's a tear, it's a tear. If it's a laugh, it's a laugh. If it's a smile, it's a smile. If it's a If it's a breath, it's a breath. If it's rest, it's rest. If it's a freed mind, it's a freed mind. But Lord, however you want to do it, would you do it in Jesus' name? And all over the room, all over the room, all over the room, God, you are freeing minds and you are setting them right to believe you as you are. And Lord, as it is done in Jesus' name, would the fruit and the promise of this reality be many souls at rest? In the only name, in the only name that has power, in Jesus' name, amen.